We worship risen Savior. Amen. I know he's risen because I'm from Jerusalem. The tomb is empty. Amen. That's what distinguishes our faith. Give God the glory. That's what distinguishes our faith from other faiths. That our God lives and our God's real. You know, you guys have an amazing choir and a worship team. Really. And I've, I've traveled to thousands of ch- countries around the world and nations and churches. And this is one of the best energy and just God's here. Amen. And that's nothing new. He, he says, God says what he means and he means what he says. That's what kind of God he is. Amen. And he says, when you call on my name, I'm always there. We just have to acknowledge his presence is here. Amen. Worship team and choir, thank you. Thank you for just a beautiful, just, uh, I feel like I want to jump up and down. Because one day we will be doing this in heaven nonstop. Are you with me? The amounts of sorrow and grief and turmoil, whatever you're going through right now. It amounts to nothing in reflection to the crown of glory God has in store for you. So don't let the world overtake you. Don't let the trials and tribulations of this world to overpower your faith. Hang in there. Be strong. It is worth it. You know, I was going around the tables outside and I was, had the privilege to, to grab several of these newsletters. And our dear brother, um, also the, your, your brochure fell on the ground. But I'm saying, if a Jew gives you free stuff, you grab it, all right? You take advantage of that. But I went around the tables and grabbed, grabbed some. Grab some of these stories and these news. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. You know, I, I grabbed some of these. You go, go to the table. Grab these things. Because you can get to a point where you're, you're just down. You're tired. You think your problem is, is the end of the world. And you get to read stories and testimonies of what God is doing on the, around the world. It will encourage you. And the church has also been kind enough to give me a table as well. So you go out there and, and grab this newsletter. There's two stories in there uh, on our tables. Besides all the amazing tables out there, there's the two stories in these here that will, will, will knock your socks off. Because these are stories of believers that are seeing visions and dreams of the gospel. And also um, the, the church has been privileged to, um, I've been privileged to the church give me a table also to put a book on this. My second book has been referenced by Dr. David Jeremiah referenced by James Dobson. So you come out there and grab this book here. And uh, I brought a couple boxes from Israel with me. You don't know how hard it is for an Israeli to travel through airports with two duffel bags. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. So relieve me of, of, of the, do me a favor, come out there and grab a copy of the book. It's for suggested donation. Everything's self-explanatory there. But you know, we're here to be inspired, amen? But we don't want to be a dead sea. A dead sea is someone that takes, 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 and never gives out. Amen? I hope that today, when the service is over, you walk out those doors. You'll never be the same again. I pray that today you expect the unexpected. I pray that today that you just something's going to happen to your life, that you're going to get this new awakening to this thing called the relationship with the Father. And let's pray one more time. And just ask God to speak to us in his own perfect way. To teach us things we've never expected in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we are humbled to know that we bow before a God that's real. Lord, we come before you declaring that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Speak to us today in your own manner. We pray that we'll never be the same after this moment. Open our eyes and our hearts and minds to new things that will come to pass in this world we live in. In the name of our risen Christ, we pray all these things. Speak to us, Lord. We are ready. We are ready to be inspired by you. Give us a strength along with inspiration. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said?
Amen. Today, I will challenge you from Daniel chapter 3. But I want to give you a, a quick challenge before we get into that, into the scripture. Um, this is a message that I gave at the United Nations just a couple months back. And, and the challenge of the United Nations, there was the Iranian delegation there. And, and there was a many Middle Eastern Muslim countries at the UN when I was speaking on the UN floor. And I was so humbled. And this is, this is the message that I challenged them with. The spirit of the Lord has burned in my heart. I said, Lord, speak through me. And he has spoken through me. To challenge and speak into the hearts and the ears of what I call today in the body of Christ. A possible new future epidemic. Which is the should have generation. This is the us today. Tomorrow saying I should have done more. I should have stood up. I should have loved more. I should have showed more compassion. I should have given more. I should have and I should have and I should have. This is a generation that because of guilt for not doing more will break and give up. Because an overwhelmingness of an evil they will feel the battle is lost and over. If my life will end today, one of the things I would want to see happen is to look into the crowd and see a people that say I refuse to be an outcome of a should have generation. But choose to stand up today so that tomorrow will echo and inspire others to change. After I gave this opening message, um, I had a lot of people from the Muslim world at the United Nations floor come up to me. And, and they're shaking my hand. And they're saying, we always thought the Christians were weak. We always thought the Christians had no passion. We always thought the Christians were cowards. And they said, how many crazy Christians like you are there? Christians that are willing to give up their life for, to help ensure that the gospel is going abroad. And I told them one thing. I said, boy, there's a lot of us. And the more you push us, the more we will lay our lives for the kingdom of God. I said, but we have a different perception on boldness and courage. We have a different perception. We have grace and love and passion. Our passion and grace and love is not forced. It's something that is given to us by the almighty creator. And within this realm of message, we have actually began a dialogue with some of these people at the United Nations from Saudi Arabia and other Muslim nations who are now inviting me to go to their country to teach them the truth about Jesus Christ. And today, this is a similar message that's brought from Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, if you want to open up your, your, your Bible to the Old Testament, and in Daniel chapter 3, I'm going to summarize to you the first 23 verses. In the first 23 verses, we see King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar was a king that had many gods. And he wanted to be on the good side of every god that existed. He dedicates one specific day where every man, woman, and child must bow down to every god that exists. Bible says the heads and knees were bent all over the nation of Babylon. Except three Jewish prophets who refused to bow down. And the king hears about them and he brings them into his palace. And if you read Hebrew, for those of you who can read Hebrew, you would understand where I'm coming from. The dialogue that's happening in the first 23 verses between King Nebuchadnezzar and these three Jewish prophets is a very unique one. Because the king is handling these three Jewish prophets who refuse to bow down. He handles them with very delicate care. He's very... He's very sensitive with them because he knows that they belong to the God of Daniel. And he knows that the God of Daniel is not one to be messed with. 
Because this same king and his forefathers saw the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He saw God of Israel do a lot of neat things way before Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego. Please excuse my French. The only way I know how to pronounce their names is the original way. Forgive me. So these three Jewish prophets, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, these three Jewish prophets, they're standing in the courtyard of the king, of this, of this emperor. And the dialogue that we see happen is he says, why aren't you bowing down? Why, why are you making a big deal? Why, I'm not asking you to do much. I'm asking you just to get on your knees, get up and get on your way like everybody else. Why can't we all just blend in? Does that sound familiar? That's what the world today wants you and I to do. They don't want us to be set apart. They want us to blend in. It wants to be just like everybody else. Don't rock the boat. Just go with the flow. And these three Jewish prophets, they look at this king and they say, King, we understand what you're asking us to do, but we decline. We worship no other God but the one true living God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Daniel. The God of Israel. We refuse to worship to any other God. And the king gets angry because he realizes diplomacy isn't working. He gets angry and says, I'm going to kill you. And you know what the response is to him in Hebrew? Whatever you want, you do it. It's okay. Our God will deliver us. I love this because he goes forward and says, oh, I'm going to kill you. Oh, I'm going to, ah. Now, they say something that really angers him. And I call it, they blindside him. You know, the enemy does not like to be blindsided. You know why? Because he doesn't know what your next move is. Satan wants you to live in the flesh. Because he knows what you can do next. You're predictable. Satan wants you to move in the flesh because he knows what you're going to do next. He wants you to act and react. and He wants your reaction to everything around you to be in the flesh rather than the spirit of God. Because he can predict what you can do next. If he pushes your button long enough, you can start hooting, hollering, and screaming, and cutting people. If he pushes you enough, you can start stealing and lying. And he knows what he's going to do. But here, the king is confused because he says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going I'm to hurt you. And they say, do whatever you want. Now, they go one step further, which I call the blind faith. And this is what they say. They say, King, even if our God does not deliver us, we still will worship no other God but the one true living God. And oh, now he's really furiated because he says on one aspect, you're saying that God will deliver you. And on the other side of the coin, you're saying even if he doesn't, you still will worship no other God but him. What is this faith? It's called blind faith. They're just trusting regardless whether God conveniently answers their prayer around it and there or whether he doesn't. It does not matter. Their faith in him is not based on that just one experience. Their faith on him is a blind faith built on grace. And this is what happens. He grabs them and he says, I'm going to make an example out of you. And what he does is he heats up the fire the furnace fire. He heats it up seven times originally that it was to be heated. But why? Because he's trying to make an example out of them. The Bible says that the flames were so strong, the flames went out and sucked people into the fire. But those that were heating up the fire, it sucked them in. That's how strong the flames were. See, a lot of these, all these little, little uh, information or little details, they're going to come in handy. I'm going to tell you why. Because it builds the whole story. So the king turns around and says, heat up the fire seven times. And they did heat it up the fire seven times. Now, ironically, 
the kid does not, the king does not understand that seven is God's perfect number. Are you with me? So he had stopped the fire seven times. All he started is he started a miracle to come to pass. When he had up the fire seven times, he's creating a perfect harmony, a perfect place, a perfect sanctuary for the presence of God to appear. Because in the Old Testament, the presence of God would come and leave. It would come and leave. A lot different than the days of the New Testament that we live in. And here, he creates a, a perfect place for God's presence to appear. If I may there interject for a second, this, this furnace, this the flaming fire, if you can even apply it to your life, the trials, the tribulations that you're going through, if you allow God to be right in the middle of all your problems, if you allow God to be the center focus of what you're going through, all that fire, all that trials and tribulations that you're going through, whether your marriage, your business, your life, as, as a young person, as a college person, regardless what age you're in in this life, the trials that you're going through, if you allow God to be the center of it, all it will do is it will perfect your faith to a bigger, greater experience than you can ever imagine. And the Bible says that the king throws him into the fire. And I can imagine them, imagining him sitting down and just looking into the fire, enjoying himself, saying that people will talk about my punishment for years and years and years to come. Of course, he doesn't know what's going to happen next. He doesn't know that, yes, his punishment will be talked about for life for years and years and years, but in a different perspective than he ever thought. You see, looking at this, it brings me back to my childhood. I grew up in the city of uh, Bethlehem in Jerusalem. I was born in Jerusalem. I grew up in Bethlehem all my life, minus a few years of going to college in America. I grew up not knowing a single day in my life without experiencing wars, bloodshed in some capacity. I tell people, I can literally, literally say, I grew up not knowing a single day of, of physical world peace in my life. I grew up going to school, having to step over body parts from a suicide bombing. I have to sleep at night with half of my body on the bed and half of my body on the floor because uh, we lived at the church in Bethlehem and my father was and is still a very outgoing, strong evangelist, evangelist that, did, that is not, was not afraid, is not afraid to speak the truth which a lot of times led my father to be physically beaten, led my father to be shot at, led my, my father to be attacked by hordes of people beating him to the ground because of his love to talk about Jesus Christ. And I grew up in this scenario, and I grew up going to church. In our church in Bethlehem, people would come in the back doors during our church services. They would have Molotov bombs in their hands, and they'd throw the Molotov bombs on the church pews while we're worshiping and praying. And during those days, for many, many Sundays, 80s and 90s, during the late 80s and 90s, many Sundays would have buckets of water in the sanctuary, and the buckets of water weren't there because of a leaking roof in the ceiling. The buckets of water were there to turn off the fire right after they came to attack us. There'll be Sundays where our church members, when we say amen, everybody goes home. People walk out the church doors up the main street and rocks and stones would come flying on people's heads. Usually the next Sunday, we would identify who was there the Sunday before because we'd see stitches on their foreheads. Yes, many Christians got scared and some never came back. Some came back after a while. But what it did is it, it, it separated the wheat from the barley. It separated the good, the good wheat from the bad wheat. It separated the Christians and understand that having the, the honor to call yourself a Christian comes at a price. You have to be willing to pay your price to call yourself a Christian and, 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 and to help make this world a better place to help build the kingdom of God has to come at a price. 
It might be your health. It might be your wealth. It might be your future, your career. It might be your life. But being, being a part of making this world a better place and being a part of building the kingdom of God has to come at a price. And you have to be willing to be a person that says, I am willing to pay the price to help build the kingdom of God. You know, I remember uh, Muslims pray five times a day over loud, loud, loud speakers. And I, growing up and during those era, people would come into our church and we could barely sometimes hear each other inside the church sanctuary because of the loud mosque speakers. My one Saturday afternoon, my father got very, very frustrated and got very, very angry with this because he could barely hear each other's service inside the sanctuary. And one Saturday, I'm walking towards our church building and I see my father up on the steeple. He was playing with some wires. And he was with an electrician up on the steeple. I said, Dad, what are you doing up there? And he leans over. He had his cable in one left hand. He said, you'll see on Sunday. <laughs> on Sunday, he gets behind the pulpit, big wooden old pulpit like this big one. Gets behind and begins to preach. But right before he preaches, he presses the button and begins to preach the gospel. 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes into the service, something is out of the norm. There's no rocks. There's no Molotov bombs. Nobody coming inside the church cussing, cursing, and screaming, and shouting at us. Something was not normal. I walked up and walked out up the main hill, up the main street. And the further I walk away from the, our church property in Bethlehem, the louder the sermon got. How might that be? When our walls are bulletproof, soundproof, cement reinforced walls. How was I hearing my father's service inside the church, outside? Well, you know, the day before when my father was up on the steeple playing with some wires, you know what he was doing? He actually slapped three all weatherproof German speakers. And when he pressed that button, the sermon went to a mile plus radius all over the city of Bethlehem. Whether you liked it or not, you're stuck with a 45 minute sermon. There's no radio or stereo you can turn off. You know, that angered a lot of people, but also it gained the respect of a lot of people that we are willing to take a stand to preach the gospel regardless what it costs. Till today, Every other Sunday, you, 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 it's easy to find our church, by the way. Just, just follow the sound on the loudspeakers. <laughs> a lot of people were angry, but also gained the respect of a lot of people. Because they said, you are not ashamed of the gospel. You are not ashamed to stand up and to share Jesus. And you are so confident in your faith. You're so confident in, in your Christianity. You're so confident in this Jesus of yours that you're willing to even risk your life. We are coming at a day and age today where the world is watching us as believers. Are we willing to risk our lives for the kingdom of God? Are we putting our mouth where our money is? And are we, are we putting action? Are we living out what we're speaking? Are we believing what we're speaking? Or are, we, are these just nice bumper sticker slogans? The world is watching today. The world is looking at Christianity. They're looking at you. They're looking at, at this beautiful church. And they're saying, are you going to be that church that's going to call us to action? And, and, and to go back into this, in the scripture realm, within Nebuchadnezzar, he throws them in. And I, I want to quickly read with you. So we stopped earlier where he throws them into the fire. I'm going to pick up on verses 24. And this is what happens. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king, you saw us. We, throw, we threw three men in. In verses 25, you guys, you guys have to listen. This is, this, is, this is amazing. 25. He said, Lo. Or, or he's saying, Wait a minute. I see four men loose. 
walking in the midst of fire. They have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. The, the king here, you have to understand in Hebrew, in Hebrew, verses 25, the king here is actually rejoicing at the same time, declaring he's a witness to, he's a witness to a crime scene. He's a witness to, to a setting in front of him. But in verses 24, 25 in Hebrew, not only is he a witness, in verses 25 is also a praise. He's praising at the same time he's bringing out something out of the dark into the light. He's saying, they have no hurt. I see four men. And the fourth is like the son of God. He saw something beautiful and he acknowledged it. And when he acknowledged it, he brought it into the light. Verses 26, then Kabachat Nasser came to the mouth of the burning fire furnace. And he spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. You have to understand here, because earlier it says that the mouth of the fire was so strong, it said that the flames were sucking people in. Are you guys with me? It's earlier in the scriptures. The one I summarized, summarized from verses 1 to 23, it said the flames were so strong, the flames were sucking people in, killing them basically. Here in verses 26, the king comes up to the edge of the fire. Well, what, how do you explain that, Pastor Curry? The best way to explain it is the guy wanted to be sucked in. The guy sees something in the fire. So ironic, so unique, so miraculous that he says, I want to jump. He actually gets to the edge of the fire. And he sees something so riveting that he begins to even declare even greater glory. He begins to say they are walking. He begins to say they are unloose. He begins to say they are unshackled. He actually begins to, he takes a miracle. He takes a miracle out of the darkness and puts it in the light. And, and, and he's telling this to his counselors. What am I trying to say? What's the point I'm trying to make? Is that when you are a church, when you're an individual that lives for the kingdom of God, when you're an individual that lives to fulfill God's commandment on earth, the world will be drawn to you and the world will come to you because you are so unique. You're so standing out. You're so... You're so out of this world that the world wants to know who Jesus Christ really is. The world today, the world today is not wanna, does not want to become a part of Christianity. Because they're not seeing enough in Christianity that draws them to it. Today the world will never want to be a part of your church unless you give them something worth dying for. The world is not going to become a part of this mission jubilee. The world is not, is, not, does not, is not going to want to taste Jesus Christ until we give them something worth looking at and something worth considering. And the king here sees that. He sees these three Jewish prophets willing to say, we're going to give our lives because we believe that there's only one true living God. And this one true living God is a God that's real. And this true living God, he always says what he means, and he always means what he says. And it's the beauty about this, the king calls him out, and, and when he calls him out in verses 27, 28, 29, he begins to even marvel more. They actually didn't have to do much, pastor. They didn't have to say, look at us, and they didn't have to say, look at us, and, and we did. They didn't say any of that. They just said no to, to, to Satan or the king, and they said yes to God. And God did the rest. Why do we complicate Christianity? 
Why do we complicate your relationship with Jesus Christ? Why, do, why don't we just keep it simple? And understand that the minute you, you want the right to call yourself a Christian, or the minute you want to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, it's simple. You become his and he becomes yours. And the minute you surrender all to Jesus, God says, I am there for you. God's telling, I'm taking all of, care of all your problems. Regardless what the world throws at you, you stand your ground. And you know when the king calls them out, pastor, he calls these people out. He calls these three Jewish prophets. He actually rips up the old contract and he writes up a new one. And this new contract, this new decree says that every man, woman, and child will only bow down to one true living God. And that one true living God is the God of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, or the God of Israel, the God of Daniel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. Why would he go to that audacity? To go to the awesome, to, to go to the extreme end from saying we're going to worship all God, every God is cool, to the point to say there's only one true living God, because he saw the witness. He saw the witness. He saw them being a people, being three men that had nothing, willing to say we only worship one God. I want to challenge you to name me one point in your life where God did not prove himself loyal and faithful to you. You might say, Pastor Curry, you don't know what I'm going through right now. You have to understand, right now. The word right now is a lot different because God is always there for you. Right now, you might not sense him. Right now, you might not see him, but he's always there. King Nebuchadnezzar saw the God, saw the fourth person as the son of God before Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego did. Why? Because they were willing to walk in faith. They were willing to step out in faith. And because of that, the whole nation of Babylon was changed and flipped upside down. I remember personally when a young person came to us from a young Muslim family and I had the privilege to disciple him. And for about two and a half weeks, we talked about Jesus Christ for about eight hours a day. Young Muslim kid. After two and a half weeks, he disappeared on me. And after he disappeared, I remember I said, Lord, was I, a bad Bible? I was, was I that bad of a Bible teacher? He would disappear after two and a half weeks. I began to question why would he disappear after two and a half weeks of talking about Jesus daily? Was he a traitor, somebody coming in to, to see who we are, where we live, what we do? I, I, I didn't know, but in my heart, I knew one thing, that this young man could not, could not be a traitor. I knew this young man was hungry for Christ. His, see what happened, he'd stopped coming after two and a half weeks because his, his mother found his Bible. She grabs his Bible and gives it to his uncles who were teachers, and Islamic teachers in the community. And they were afraid for his soul because they believe they have the right religion and they believe they have the right way. And they're concerned for him. And for three days, they put him in his bedroom and they put him under house arrest and they unwinded a metal hanger. And they began to lash him and beat him over and over and over and over again. Asking him to deny Jesus, deny Jesus, deny Jesus. Being beaten with lashes on his back, with welts on his back, welts on his feet, welts on his stomach. Beaten to deny Jesus. Not one single time would he deny Christ as his personal Savior. 
He kept telling his uncles, give me something to equally replace the peace, the joy that I found in Christ. Until then, don't ask me to give up the only thing that's giving me peace and joy in eternity. And that was a rational request. He's saying, no, that's fine. I'll give up Christ. But give me something to equally replace what I have in here. Until then, don't ask me to give up the only thing that's real that changed my heart. Three days of being beaten, he refused to deny Jesus. His uncles got together and said he's been brainwashed. And they said, his uncle said that we got to go after the people that are really causing the problem. So they found out it was me that was discipling him and that was spending time answering his questions about Jesus. I was walking down the church street towards our church property in Bethlehem. And somebody comes up to me and says, are you Stephen? I said, yes. I thought this person wants to know where, we, where the church is and sit down. And when I said, yes, I'm Stephen, I, I felt something burning in the back of my head. And I went like this, thinking it's a bug or a fly. And I looked at the palm of my hand. And there was blood there. Everything happened so quickly. I, I, I'll never forget this. I turned around and, and I realized that the, the thing, the, the little sting in my head wasn't a bug or a fly. The little sting in my head, it, it, something, somebody hit me. And I turned around and I saw about five or six guys with thick metal sticks and, and, and uh, metal chains and wooden sticks. And they began to beat me to the ground over and over call me names like infidel and traitor and call me names proselyzer and as I was being beaten to the ground I remember I, I shouted the most odd thing I could ever shout this is what I said I said Lord if you get me through this I will love you I will serve you more I don't know where that came from because I'm being beaten because of because of my willingness to serve him but I said Lord if you get me through this harsh beating I will serve you I'll love you more Till today, I can never forget their vicious smile. It, what sometimes gets to me more, it's not the beating itself, it's their vicious smiles. As they were beating me to the ground with metal chains and wooden sticks. But it happened. Right then and there. When I called on his name, he showed up. I tell people, I literally felt like a white blanket just draped over me. Consciously, I was still physically there. I, I could still... See them, I hear them, and see their lives. I, I'm there being beaten to the ground. But I was peaceful. You know why? Not because I'm, I'm better than anybody else. Not because I was the Bible student of the year. I wasn't. But simply because I understood at that moment that there's no place too low for God that he can reach me. And there's no place too high where God can't reach me either. Just like the psalmist says, even if I lay my bed in the pits of hell, thou art there with me also. If I lay my bed in the highest of highs, thou art there with me also. What I understood is that God, he's there, he means it, and he says what he means. But we just have to be willing to put our lives on the line and to be all in and to give it all up for him. And what that beating did, they put me in a trash can in this big dumpster. And they spray pit on the strong sir. Look at this Christian. May he be an example. What they're trying to do is they're trying to break me from talking about Jesus and scare me from answering questions. But I'm telling you, they did themselves a disfavor. Because they created a beast out of me for the kingdom of God. They created a beast out of me to share Jesus Christ. In fact, that beating took us today to even a level that I could have never dreamt in my life. Took us to a level where we could never even imagine why? Simply because we were willing to say we are all in. And in conclusion today, in conclusion, 
if you today call yourself a Christian, if you yourself call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, the question is, are you all in? Are you like Meshach Shadr Hanabit Nago, who stands up and says, I don't know all the answers. I can't see all that's coming. But I do know one thing for sure, is that God means what he says and he sends what he means. God is there for me because he promised that there's no place too low. There's no place too high. This is the reality that we live in today. I'm talking about right now to the believers here sitting. If Jesus were to grab you and just buy the collar today, if you're placed in a room, just five by five, just a small cubicle with Christ face to face, you're standing in this cubicle with Christ and Christ just looks you within an inch or two from your face. Christ has got you by your collar and just puts you, looks you in the eyes. And if Jesus were to ask you as a believer, if Jesus were to ask you, what have you done for me that's worth anything in heaven? What would your answer be? I'm going to say that one more time. If you're standing in a cubicle with Christ today and Christ has got you, he's grabbed you passionately, he's grabbed you by your collar and just pulled you up to his shirt. And he pulled you up to his face and he was going to ask you, what have you done for me that's worth anything in heaven? What would your response be? I know for me personally, I would say, Lord, if Christ would grab me, and I would say, Lord, just give me another 24 hours. Give me just another 24 hours, Lord, just to live another holy, righteous life for you. Give me another 24 hours, Lord, just to declare your goodness and your riches and your glory. I said, Lord, give me another 24 hours to love my wife more, to love my children more. I would say, Lord, give me another 24 hours just to go up to my pastor, go up to my leadership team, and just to encourage them to step away from politics and to continue sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would step aside from myself and I would say, Lord, just give me another 24 hours to go down the street to my neighbors, just to build a relationship with them, just to get to that one point where I can do good one more time. Today is an opportunity. Today is an opportunity for you to make a change in your life. And it doesn't, it doesn't make much. That's the whole premise of my teaching today. is to show you that you don't have to be a philosopher. You don't have to be this big theologian to change the world. All you have to be, you have to do is to be willing to say, I'm just going to live for Jesus. I'm going to have an intimacy with the Father. As the, as the music plays, I want to ask you just to bow your heads with me. I'm talking about right now. I'm still talking to the believers right now. I haven't stepped out to the believers realm. I'm just speaking to speak to, to believers right now. So the world is watching you. You are being put to the test today. You as believers, as families, as your, your faith is being put to the test. Are you going to reject sin and live righteous? Even if you fall every now and then. Are you going to come back and repent and understand that God sees you in a different way than the world sees you? Are you going to choose today to say, Lord, I'm a believer and I've been fighting. I'm going to surrender all to you. Some of you are sitting on a lot of wealth. What are you waiting for? Are you willing to give it all to ensure that one more soul will come to Christ? Some of you are, I don't know what's going on in your careers. Maybe God's calling you to serve him today. Time is ticking. And I probably would need another five days to teach you some of the signs that I'm seeing as I go and I speak before Israeli prime ministers and I speak at the Congress in Israel. I, I get to see a lot of things on the inside that are happening. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming soon, people. 
the signs of the return of the coming king. It's, it's, it's drying near. As your heads are bowed, I'm, I'm calling out the believers right now because the world is watching you as believers. I want to open up the floor to you right now. I want to challenge you to come to the front altar and get on your knees. As a pastor, I've been fighting so many things in my life. I'm tired in the flesh. But I'm telling you, because you're fighting in the flesh, it's time to get out of the flesh and say, Lord, I want to do what me, Shachshadach and Abednego did. I'm going to just surrender all. I'm going to, I'm going to live every day enjoying what you've got for me because I believe you are in control. I want to call you right now to ask as music is playing. I want to call you to run. You come on. You step up out of, your, out of your seat. You come to the front. I'm talking about the believers right now. You stepped out of your seat and come to the front altar. Let the world see you that you're willing to put your pride aside. You're willing to say, Lord, I'm going to live for you and for nobody else. Would you step up right now? Step out of your seat. Get out of your pride. Get out of your own self-willingness and self-life. And step out of your faith and say, I need change today. I need change right now. I'm calling you to action, to step out, out of your seat. And say, I'm going to do what Meshach, Shaddach, and Abednego did. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to be willing to give it all to him because he is worth it. As the music plays, would you believe her? Step out of your seat. Come on. You step out of your seat. Right, I'm calling you to action. You step out and it's enough to be callous. You step out of your seat and let the Lord speak to you.